0: People first organizations will win in the future of work Your only real asset is your people We, we all, all want, want purpose driven work, work. HR
1: led organization is
0: I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks in
1: empty shop floors Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films and music This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello and welcome to People Strategy Leaders podcast. I am Sri Chalapa. Today, I'm joined with Rich Horwath. Rich is the founder and CEO of Strategic Thinking Institute, where he's the strategy, strategy facilitator and coach to executive leadership teams. He's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of eight books on strategic thinking. His most recent work, Strategic The Skills to Set Direction, Create Advantage, and Achieve Executive Excellence, was selected by Inc. magazine as a top four must read book for 2024. Rich has appeared on abc cbs nbc and fox tv to provide expert commentary on business strategy and his work has been published in fast company forbes at the harvard business review well welcome to the show rich i am so lucky to have you with your deep insight in this area shri it's an honor to be with you today excellent so you know we are going to talk about strategy but one of the aspects of strategy is succession planning um as a CEO, or, as a, or maybe as somebody who might be handing off the business to one of their uh, family members, or however it might be, depending on the type of, uh, you know, uh, succession planning. Obviously, the famous succession planning that we all are aware of, which is done very, very successfully in multiple instances, actually, one by Microsoft to Satya Nadella, and then the other one, obviously, uh, a much, I would say, much more significant one was Steve Jobs, uh, you know, given their reigns of apple so that you know those are some very successful ones and there are some really bad ones that we have seen in the past as well um, so let's talk about that let's let's actually open up with a question you know what are some of the myths of succession planning
0: well Shree, first one that comes to my mind is the idea that experience is the most valuable quality that we're looking at. And really in all industries, experience jumps to the forefront. They have 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of experience in this business, but we all realize deep down that experience by itself isn't the end all be all. Really what we should be looking for in succession planning is expertise. And typically when I think about expertise in any role, there are gonna be two or three key skills and behaviors that really drive expertise. So, I would challenge all of the listeners out there, what are the two or three skills, the areas of expertise that are most important to the role that you're looking to fulfill? Then once we've identified those, then we can look at experience and other uh, other aspects that are going to be important, but we've got to start with expertise first.
1: So, when you say expertise, can you explain how do I you know, if somebody is really good at, let's say I'm i'm i run a software company right which i do um and expertise for my successor it's not just somebody who understands the software very well mm-hmm. right it's not necessarily also somebody who understands the industry very well so how do i define that expertise
0: Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I love to do with with uh, folks is take a look at what does the role look like today? So a good example with you, Sri, would be to say, what are the three to five things that are most important that you do to run the organization today? So we would put that in the left column. Then in the right column, we'd say, okay, two years from now, as you, let's say, hand over the role to someone else, what are the skills uh, that are gonna be most important in the next two years? And so to your point, especially as a CEO role, things like uh, uh, emotional intelligence, uh, people leadership, those things might be areas or skill sets that you identify as really being important. To your point, you might say, well, the technical expertise of software is an anti. That's something that is really table stakes that people need to know. But to excel in the role, we need greater emotional intelligence, greater people leadership skills, those types of things. So to me, it's really about analyzing what's the behavior and the main activities that the person does today. And then what do you see those activities being in the
1: future? So, Rich, one of the things that we discussed when we were preparing for this discussion um, is this taking a strategic look at succession planning mm-hmm. and talent scorecard. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with, first of all, what a talent scorecard is, how do you measure what's on the scorecard, maybe talk a little bit about that, and then we can talk about the alignment between those two things. Sure.
0: Shri, I know your organization does a great job helping uh, people really understand um, the the HR component, the the human uh, capital component of what they're doing. Do it better, do it more efficiently, more effectively. That's though. If the folks aren't working with you, one of the things they've got to think about is how often are we evaluating our people. And so what I've seen pretty much is that people are not taking a look at assessing on a regular basis in a consistent manner. So the talent scorecard is a way to provide more real-time feedback for people in three areas. And so the three areas that I've identified through research are technical capabilities. So whatever the role might be, what's the technical capabilities that are associated? The second one would be people leadership. So when we think about people leadership, we think about things like emotional intelligence, empathy. We think about being able to set culture, um, decide values, those types of things. And then that third area is really uh, around executive skills. So do they have the ability to set vision, set strategic direction, make trade-offs, allocate resources, uh, be good with decision-making? So those are some of the executive skills. So again, if we're evaluating director level, first-line level managers, all the way up to the CEO, those three areas can be used across any functional area, whether it's HR, IT, business development, sales, marketing. So what I'd recommend is then, Build that scorecard for your top five people, and then on a monthly basis, grade them from one to three, one being insufficient, two being sufficient, three being uh, above average. And so what I would do then in the leaders I've worked with, they actually then will share this with their direct reports on a monthly basis, sometimes even every other week, so that people are getting real-time feedback and not getting just surprised at that annual performance review.
1: So is this something that you do for primarily for people who are in leadership roles and looking at promoting them to the next level up, or is it also true for line managers as well?
0: Yes, it can be, it can be uh, modified for both leadership and for line managers and even individual contributors as well. Again, I think we shouldn't forget that individual contributors are oftentimes the people in the front lines doing a lot of important work. Sometimes they're closest to the customer. So we've got to be able to give them real time feedback as well. So, again, the talent scorecard is a way to give people that real-time feedback in those three areas. And so, again, I'm a big believer that succession planning is effective if we have both a quantitative and a qualitative evaluation. So the talent scorecard really helps to start with that quantitative evaluation.
1: So the talent scorecard is, I like your three-point framework that you're using. Um, My question is, how do you make sure it is, not biased, right? There's a bias element as a manager or a leader of that person. You know, I'm going to be clouded to some extent because of what that person does or tells me while well, they could be leaving dead bodies in their wake up, their work, which <laughs> I never hear about, right? The, right. You know, the managers, right? Who who will great have great outcomes and give you great results. And then, you, but you see all these people really demotivated in their team, hate their manager, but they can't speak up. You'll never hear about them. Uh, so how do you, like, I'm, I'm just trying to understand how do you make it implemented, implementable in a way where you can get more holistic picture of these three elements?
0: Yes, it's a great point, Sri. So I believe in, in a triangulated uh, talent scorecard. So when I say triangulated, I say, pick three people that are within proximity to the person that you're evaluating. So typically it might be a colleague, maybe it's one of their direct reports, maybe it's even a customer, uh, or or it's another uh, another leader in the organization. So find three people that you can triangulate your score with to see what is the scores that they're giving as well. Because to your point, maybe we have a bias, maybe we have past experience. So we want to get other perceptions. And like you said, some people are good at, at, uh, at hiding uh, some of the behaviors as well. So I find the idea of triangulating the talent scorecard to be an effective one if we can get three people. And I would t- technically also... Th- suggest mixing those three people up month after month so maybe every third month pick three people the next month three different people so really through the year throughout the year you're getting a good wide range of perspectives again keeping it very simple with those three areas that we're looking at
1: so okay so now let's talk about the strategic look between succession planning and talent profiles and so i've gotten these talent profiles mm-hmm. and talent scorecards essentially on a month on a month basis how do I, where do I go from there in terms of thinking about succession planning?
0: So, what, one of the things to consider is oftentimes if we're in a, a functional role like HR, IT, operations, especially internally facing, oftentimes I'm seeing people in those leadership roles abdicate the responsibility for stra- strategy and strategic direction. So, if you're a leader in one of those areas, you absolutely need to take the time to step back out of the business and think about what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how could we do it better? And to me, succession planning is going to be a big part of that for any of the groups that we look at. So what I would recommend is starting with two questions. What are we trying to achieve through the succession planning? And then how are we going to achieve it? So again, two very basic questions questions that that frame a plan what are we trying to achieve and how are we going to do it in this case we're applying it to succession planning so if we're asked if we're saying what are we trying to achieve well maybe it's to retain the top of four and five level performers in the organization through the end of the year. That's what we're trying to do. How are we gonna do that through succession planning? Well, maybe we start to change the compensation program from one where we, we give middle of the road bonuses to people and we say it's either zero bonus 70% bonus, 100% bonus. So now all of a sudden we've really started to change the way that we're going to try to incent people to compete for some of those uh, higher roles as we do succession planning. So to me, again, it's really answering those two questions. What are we trying to achieve and how are we going to do it? And then coming up with specific details for each of those questions.
1: Yeah, so I want to pivot to a little bit about development now, uh, because succession planning clearly... It requires some level of development to that new role, right? Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how do you innovate in that space? I mean, you talk about innovation uh, within succession planning and talent development. First of all, why do we need to innovate? What are you seeing that's not being done right today? Mm-hmm. So maybe talk a little bit more about, I want to understand what, why we do need to innovate and then what that innovation look like looks like.
0: Yeah, sure. Great. Those are great points. So the first thing I'd say is when we think about innovation, it can be very daunting. People feel like, wow, there's, there's so much there. Most people feel like that's not my job. That's the marketing team's job. That's the product management team's job. That's innovation over there. But when we think about innovation in the real definition, which I define as creating new value for customers, if we use that lens, then really everybody's job is to be innovative. So we're all trying to create new value for those that we serve. For HR leaders, IT leaders, finance leaders, your customer's gonna be internal primarily. So we wanna think about what are new ways to bring value to those people today. So what I would suggest is start a, a, just a flip chart or a whiteboard in the left column, jot down what are the three to five things that we do normally to serve our customers. So what's the norm today in that left column? Then in the right column, now we wanna to start to brainstorm, how could we do those things differently? What would be some ways to, um, to potentially uh, take a different approach to creating new value? Because the reality is, even if we're internally facing, we should always think that we have competition in the sense that maybe our function at some point could be outsourced. So we always wanna be thinking about how could we do things differently or better to serve our customers. So again, this idea of innovation is everyone's mindset is I think a new, a new approach for many people, uh, especially those that are internal leaders. So we wanna, first of all, really push ourselves to think about what that new value is. And then the, the, the most important point is we want to be able to observe what are the challenges, issues, and problems the customers that we serve have. And again, we want them to articulate that, but we also want to observe that. And then that's the seeds that are going to create that innovation. If we're able to help them solve some of their challenges, to overcome some of the obstacles, that's where real innovation, that's where real new value lies.
1: So why do we need to innovate in succession planning? What's wrong with that today?
0: Well, I I would say the first thing is it's very heavily qualitative. And so when it's highly qualitative, you, as you pointed out earlier, Sri, I might be biased. I might have, uh, somebody else might be biased. So there may not be a really full, fair perspective of what we're doing. So one of the reasons that we need to innovate is because we're very heavy on uh, qualitative evaluation versus quantitative. So part of the innovation and succession planning is to uh, do a quantitative analysis. Let's say we take the top seven factors for our CHRO. So what are the seven success factors that we've identified for a CHRO? Now what we want to do is let's weight each of those factors from three to one. Three is highly important. Two is moderately important. One is somewhat important. So we might say one of the qualities for uh, our our CHRO is uh, visioning that might be one of the qualities. So we would wait. weight that as a three. Then the second area is we would evaluate them on their performance. So again, three is excellent, two is moderate, and one needs improvement. So then we would multiply the weighting Versus their performance, and then we would get a quantitative score for that area of visioning. We would do that for all seven, and then we'd add that up. So that's a more objective uh, way to, to quantify what their performance looks like. And then that gives us better thinking for our succession planning.
1: So how uh, what have you seen in the mar- in, in your consulting assignments with on succession planning and strategy? How are organizations really doing it? today? Or do you feel there has been some movement in the right direction there?
0: Yeah, I would say there has been some movement in the right direction. I think certainly uh, people are looking for a a greater range of thinking, a greater range of contribution. So you're seeing greater diversity in the leadership uh, sets that we're looking at, which which is wonderful to see. I do think there's still as I mentioned before, a reliance on my my personal opinion of someone. Uh, so I think again we're we're very subjective. So I would say moving forward, one of the things that we want to do is challenge ourselves with: um, Are we are we do we have a clear idea of what the key behaviors are for the role? Not level of experience, not years of experience, but what are the specific behaviors that are most important to the role? And then what are the ways that we're measuring that? And then what are the ways that that we're developing people? Because it's one thing to evaluate, but if we're not providing them with the knowledge, skills, and tools to build those behaviors, then we need to take a step back and say, how can we do a better job preparing them um for those for those things that they're looking to do. So I would say those are a couple of the key things that that come to mind.
1: So going back to the earlier question I had about you know utilizing the succession planning and performance is this continuous performance assessment approach to building a talent scorecard, how does that how should that be used for employee development or people development for these roles?
0: Well, that's that's another good point too, Shri. the The research shows that as you rise in an organization, your level of development decreases proportionately to the point where many CEOs are getting no developmental uh, resource or or programming at all. So, what we want to first understand is let's take a, a a diagnosis of where we are today. So, what where where is the development happening today in the organization? What's being provided? And then I would overlay that with the behaviors that we identified. So if we say, well, empathy and emotional intelligence are becoming a more important uh, component for our senior vice presidents, then we have to say, okay, what are the developmental uh, tools and, and, and sources we have to build empathy and emotional intelligence? If we don't have any, then that, seemed, that would send a red flag that we have a gap there. So again, I really think it's overlaying the behaviors with the the knowledge and skills and tools to say where are the gaps and where can we do better in order to prepare our people to be the best they can be
1: yeah you No, know, one thing i've 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 noticed in in many of my uh discussions with organizations and we work with hundreds and hundreds of organizations is that somehow especially in the in the lower segment of the organizations where they are you know 100 200 300 400 employees not not your big you know, massive companies. Sure. The head of HR is usually kept out of the loop in all of this, right? So what is the role of the head of HR? And I'm, I'm, I refrain from calling them CHRO because they're really more of, they're typically at that point, a manager level or maybe a director level at that point in a company that's maybe five 600 people. Um, what's the role of a HR? And when, what is the advice you give to, to the CEO or another executive who's you know, working on these employee or development plans for their successors in their roles.
0: Well, I think one of, one of the things is to really understand uh, and talk to and have an ongoing dialogue. Shree, I think that's the thing I'm seeing the biggest gap is there's not an ongoing dialogue between the HR leader and the business partners. Right. There's there's occasional and but 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 the most of the interaction that I'm hearing from from HR leaders is we're being uh, it, we're, we're more order takers. Okay. So the vice president of marketing comes and says, look, we need a workshop at the sales meeting on uh, on financial planning or business acumen. So they run and do that. Now we need this for these people. So it's more of an order taking versus a true partnership. And what, I, what I'm what i really encouraging HR leaders to do is to be more proactive, to lead those strategic level conversations with the business partners by really understanding you know, what are their goals and objectives? What are they? trying to achieve? And then how are they doing that? And what are the skills and behaviors they see as most important? And then also asking them, what are the obstacles or challenges that your people are facing? And then are there ways that we can partner so that I can help support that? Those conversations need to happen up front, not as a reactive uh, stage way later in the game, but that's where they're typically happening. Are you seeing similar things or, or anything different there?
1: I, I know, I'm absolutely. I'm seeing similar things. I think what's happening is you have this annual planning done, or you have an annual budget done, and then you decide I'm going to do these this year. I'm going to hire 100 more people. I'm going to grow my organization. Those things mean you need new leaders now. You need more leaders, right? So HRs, you know. Alarm bell should be going off and say, okay, how are we building these new leadership? Are we just going to keep hiring people from the outside? Or are we going to build a plan where some of these individual contributors become managers, some of these managers become directors, and some of these directors move laterally becoming a vice president of a different division, that you're opening a new region or whatever that is, right? Yes. I think those things are not happening uh, from an HR perspective. They're like, told, oh, you know what, I promoted Joe to this director, so to this role, can you please change his designation? And yes, and, and by the way, he needs, or she needs whatever the role person is, needs this training, can you conduct a new workshop on this subject? Like you said, they become order takers, so it's they're coming reactive after the fact, instead of saying, hey, if you're gonna open a new division, what does that mean for the people? Who can we move from our our current teams to promote to them instead of always be hiring from the outside to build these leadership roles? Uh, and I think that's one of the things I talk about, promoting from within versus hiring from the outside, To at least for the leadership role, try to get them moving, because obviously it helps retention. It's uh, people stay longer when they see a path of growth, uh, but also institutional knowledge. You know, when you when you bring somebody from outside, it can take nine months to a year to have anywhere close to the institutional knowledge that you have within the rest of the organization, Um so there's uh, there's a lot of value to do that. And I think HR can take a more strategic role when they look at these growth plans that are being presented in the board meeting. And if they're saying, I want a seat at the table, HR should be, you know, first of all, earn it to some extent by having yeah. those tough questions to the CEO or to the, the executive vice president say, how are we doing this? And are you thinking through in the aspect of institutional knowledge, retention, Growth for our people, engagement for our people—you know, things so of this nature—and the cost, you know, it'd be lower cost if be promoted from within versus, you know, hiring from the outside. So, I, so I, I, I challenge you know a lot of HR managers, um, at least not, not not directly, but through my discussions, is is to be to be strategic and to earn a seat at the table. You have to think strategic and and start having these tough discussions with the with the executives and the CEOs. Uh, directly, instead of waiting for, you know, them to come to you and give you a piece of paper saying, hey, I want these five things because I just opened a new division and and I need a director.
0: Sure, you make some amazing points there. And and one I'd love to build on is the idea of promoting from within. Because to your point, too often, we're immediately looking outside. And you can look at professional service firms for one good example. You know, typically, they don't just organized by function, they organize by project or program. And then when that project or program is done, they repurpose people for a different project. And sometimes it requires different skill sets, but yet they have the adaptability and flexibility to change that. So I think that's a great point that you bring up is, as HR leaders, we need to really be thinking about, you know, are are we building uh, an adaptable a um, uh, mentally uh, agile, flexible force that can move to different projects, different areas. Because to your point. I've seen it in myself, in my work, many organizations that are bringing people in from outside a year, 18 months later, those people are leaving because they were not a good cultural fit. They were not able to navigate the political landscape internally. So even though on paper, they had good technical skills, there were so many other organizational facets that they were not able to adapt to. So if you, to your point, if you have people that are internal, they understand the culture, they know how to adapt to the political landscape, opportunity to be much more effective more quickly if we just re-skill them in certain areas.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the 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 reason I bring up HR in this particular area is because HR function has been largely focused on, you know, obviously payroll benefits and all the transactional stuff that you have to do just to, you know, have a business. They're not as keenly focused on, especially in these smaller organizations. So I'm, I'm not talking about the Coca-Colas of the world. Right. They're as not as focused on the strategic aspect of HR, which is talent development, succession planning, the growth. And talent development is one of my favorite, you know, areas because yeah. you know you you get better as an organization if your people get better as, as themselves. Right. And talent development is typically treated as, oh, I'm gonna set up these training sessions and and I'm going to have new manager training. I'm going to have communication skills training. I'm going to have psychological safety training, whatever these different training might be. Mm-hmm. But in the context of succession planning, talent development and growth needs to be done proactively. It's not done after the fact. That means if I am going to have a director in this role because this person is going to retire or they're going to you know, move to a different role, I need to plan that sometimes maybe a year in advance mm-hmm. from an L&D perspective, you know, yes. and I think that's where this proactive aspect of L&D that, I, that, that the HR needs to get, you know, need to be participating, it becomes much more important. That's where the strategic thinking comes into place. Because if they don't, somebody is going to get promoted to their role, or right. maybe from outside, preferably not. High and then they are in their new role, ill-equipped to run that function because they got elevated and promote it without all the right skills, the right expertise, as you say, to really lead that function.
0: Yeah. And and to that point, Sri, I think it's a great point you to bring up because it's almost, you know, it's almost comparing checkers and chess and chess. We need to think many moves ahead. And what I, what I would say is for any of the leaders out there, think about your typical week. How much time are you spending thinking about your current work, And then, how much time are you thinking about the future state of your business? So, one year, two years, three years out. In many cases, people are leaders are not spending any time on the future state, it's all today. But the best leaders I find spend about 30 to 35 or 40% of their time thinking about the future state of the business and about 60 to 70% on the current state so that's a rough balance so you know track your time for a week uh, folks out there and and start to gauge am i spending some time and again you can do it individually and collectively with your team and also i've seen it be very motivating for teams to think about the future of the business because it gives them a mental recess from the day to day and it gets them excited about what's down the road
1: Yes. Yes. Well, thanks, Rich. Um, it has been a wonderful conversation. Succession planning is something that I don't get to talk about a lot. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about that. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your book that's coming out? That's now Inc. Magazine's favorite, one of the favorite books for the year. Yeah, thanks, Shri.
0: So yeah, the book Strategic is out. Uh, it's available wherever you buy books. And uh, there's lots of free resources I have at strategyskills.com so you can find more information on the book and other things as well. But uh, lots of free articles, videos, white papers and so forth at strategyskills.com. And uh, again, if you're interested in the succession planning piece and strategic, um, you know, feel free to take a look at that as well.
1: Well, thanks, Rich. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Shree. Have a great day.
1: Shri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People's Strategy Leaders podcast. If you are a successful leader, or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag people strategy leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episodes. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.